Welcome to Bro Trek, the only pro Bernie Sanders Star Trek podcast from two brothers. I'm Ed. I'm Nick. Shall we engage? Make it bro. All right. Hope you all like the new catchphrases. We're trying something new. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, debates are tomorrow night. This is the first one with uh, Mayor, after Mayor Bloomberg has bought his way onto the stage. Totally you ready deservedly. To- yes. Yes. What it's a definitely- sack of shit. I, I know, hate it's- Bloomberg. I know. He's basically uh, exactly the same as Donald Trump, uh, except uh, even richer and uh, has probably done more a- done more actual bad things as opposed to just like being, you know, rude to celebrities and uh, having sex with porn stars uh, before he became president. Uh, not that he hasn't done terrible, obviously he's done terrible things as president, but prior to president, he'd mostly just been a famous asshole, whereas Bloomberg has like wrecked the lives of people all throughout new york city so anyway can't wait to see bernie sanders fucking powerbomb that dude i'm pretty sure all the other people on stage are gonna just like be trying to make bloomberg eat shit just because they all don't like him because he bought his way up there yeah yeah uh i don't use youtube very often but when i do i see bloomberg ads all over that thing it's disgusting makes me makes me very upset I saw one. I saw a Bloomberg ad for the first time just a couple of minutes ago. Um, I was just watching a YouTube, uh, just a, a, a Picard little a clip or a trailer or something, and there was a Bloomberg ad right before it. He's just just soaking the whole internet and television with money. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I wonder what his thing is. Like, I mean, does he have some sort of? specific goal or is he just like you know what if trump can be this guy i should be too i deserve it i think there's some of that too but i think you know what his thing is is uh he wants to keep all of his money and make sure that none of it gets taxed away and he really is the kind of person that thinks that like everything would be better if he just ran the world basically you know yeah like yeah except i feel yeah 100 he's wrong well, yeah, but you're right. Like, you definitely would be better if you ran Obviously. the world. Obviously. I think we can all agree on that. Mm-hmm. So All of our we're listeners talking- <laughs> and us. And by listening to this show, you two uh, have agreed that Nicholas would be the correct ruler of the world. Uh-huh. It's a contract. You didn't know you signed it, but it's too late now. Yep. So, so we're going to talk about episode four, uh, the synopsis from uh, Memory Alpha, the only good website on the internet. Uh, the crew's journey to Freak Cloud takes a detour when Picard orders a stop at the planet Vashti, where Picard and Musiker relocated Romulan refugees 14 years earlier. Upon arrival, Picard reunites with Elnor, a young Romulan he befriended during the relocation. Meanwhile, Narek continues his attempts to learn more about Soji, while Rizzo's impatience with his lack of progress grows. So yeah, like the uh, that synopsis indicates, this episode's kind of just a pit stop. Uh, but we do get some really cool stuff. Um, overall, I really liked it. Um, it's, you know, uh, I really enjoyed that Picard's like getting back into the groove of being a captain, of being in a, you know, a, a, a uh, uh, being the Picard that we're used to. He's not just like a sad old guy, you know, which mm-hmm. was really great. Like I liked him as a sad old guy, but I love that that they're letting letting his character kind of evolve. And you could even last week when he like first popped up on the ship. And was hanging out with Rios. You could see the um, the spark come back. You know, we definitely have that spark again in this episode. Yeah, yeah, and it, you know that's what they're trying to do. Uh, several scenes were, you know, of him taking on the the role of Captain Picard, uh, and you know, and he was trying to 
temper it down, but he still couldn't. But anyway, it was good. It was yeah. good. Yeah, and I really like the, uh, I guess you could call it an away team scene where he beams down to the planet and does the kind of thing he normally does and uh, ends up in a sword fight, which was yep somewhat unexpected and pretty awesome. Well, yeah, we will come back to that. But yeah, I, I did love, there's a lot of, yeah, like you said, him trying to show up be Picard, be the Picard from Next Generation. It doesn't quite go the way that it would have, you know, 30 years ago. Um, but, you know. Um, so, yeah, uh, one other thing I've been I've been thinking about was the uh, the actual uh, rom- the shockwave that destroyed all the Romulan planets and destroyed the Romulan homeworld. So I was thinking about this. Um, the, sh- the, the, the Their sun explodes, right? It, it is a supernova. That supernova, you know, is going to expand out, right? This is all clear from the show. Makes sense. The thing I've been thinking about is, at most, that shockwave is going to expand out at light speed, right? Like, an exploding supernova doesn't, like, gain warp capacity. It just goes out at light speed. Um, And solar systems, they're, you know, multiple light years apart. Like, I was... Proxima Centauri is the closest one to Earth. It's about 4.3 light years away. I looked this up online. The average distance between solar systems is usually like four. It's like four to six, depending on how you define stuff and, you know, what what assumptions you're making. But like, you know, four, four to six light years apart. So that means like at most it should take decades before this system, uh, other systems beyond, you know, the Romulus homeworld are affected by uh, the shockwave. So uh, I think I found a major plot hole in this show, and I think it needs to be canceled. Well, I agree it should be canceled, but, you know, I don't completely understand relativity, and time is different based on the location of the observer. So maybe there's some sort of Star Trek magic involved there, um, since they are traveling at warp speed, you know, maybe the timeline that we're told about is somewhat distinct from the timeline of the sun as it explodes. I mean, I, I, I think that's probably the best answer, which is it's Star Trek. It's not, none of this actually makes any sense if you think about it for too long. It has something to you do know? with the dilithium crystals. Yeah, you know, they're uh, video chatting with people, uh, you know, hundreds of or thousands of light years away pretty regularly. So and it's like real time, no lag. Um, so, you know, uh, but still, it was uh, something I was thinking about. Um, so the uh, episode opens up uh, when they're at this like Romulan refugee camp 14 years ago. You know, we see Picard interacting with these new uh, Kawat Malat uh, Romulan nuns. We see uh, Elnor, who's introduced in this episode as a kid. I thought that kid actor was really good, um, and I thought it was it was fun getting to see this kind of warmer side of Picard. You know, we've seen him like if you go back to the the earliest episodes of season one, he's a pretty like icy dude, and then you know throughout the course of that show, he slowly warmed up, and we're seeing him. You know, even fourteen years ago, he's like a he's a much warmer dude. Yeah. One thing I did think was funny was his like the uh, the aesthetic when he landed on this you know, Romulan refugee camp, he was totally like a, you know, I don't know, like 1800s, like British colonial administrator. <laughs> he looked like the lead Nazi uh, uh, archaeologist from uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. In yes. His white, his white suit with his hat. Yep. Yeah. He, definitely, he definitely looks like a, you know, British pedophile who's hanging out in Thailand or something like that. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so, what did you think of the what did you think of the uh, Kawat Malat? 
I mean, they seemed pretty pretty scary. I don't know if I would want to grow up there. Uh, Elnor probably had a pretty pretty uh, rough upbringing. Um, a bunch of nuns who didn't want him to be there and never held back as to their disappointment in him with their uh, way of absolute candor. Yeah, yeah, that dude definitely, definitely um, knows all the things that he did not do well growing up, you know. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. I, I really like the idea of these, like, Romulan warrior nuns. I, I, and especially, um, so one, I like that they're a different kind of Romulan, you know. Like, like where you, most of the Romulans we see in the show are the Romulan military or the Romulan spies or whatever. And just like every other society, there's a lot of diversity, you know, that we don't get to see. Um, and these, these are just, these are incredibly different. And one of the things that I think is especially cool is like most of the Romulans that we see, it is, you know, secrecy, right. Is the most important thing to them. Just like for Vulcans, logic is the most important thing for them. And we've seen some, you know, Vulcans in the show that, don't follow logic. Um, Spock's brother, Cybok from Star Trek V, is probably the most famous example. Uh, and one of the things I, I especially like here is Romulans and Vulcans, you know, they're mutual. They're, they're the same species, right? They just diverged whatever, like 2,000 years ago or, or something like that. And they all have, uh, so, you know, Vulcans followed logic. Most Romulans follow secrecy. But these uh, Coatmalat, they pick something different, like candor is is uh is the thing so we've got candor secrecy logic these are all kind of like a guiding theory to like run a society or to manage yourself and i think that's just really interesting that we've got that's an interesting thematic resonance with like other uh other ideas that the show's had um i had never heard of them before have they been uh involved in any of the you know uh shows canon you know through the books or comics to the best of my knowledge, they were invented for this show. Um, they do show up in the in the prequel novel that I've been reading, but obviously that's based on the the same like yeah. show bible that that was created for, to set up this world. Um, so, the, but this is to the best of my knowledge, the, this is an invention for the show. Hmm, okay. Do you know if they? I, I didn't follow it uh, or didn't notice it mentioned in the show, but uh, Picard said that they were like the. Um, the most feared enemy of the Tal Shiar, and that makes sense. You know, their their uh, uh, principle that they live by is the opposite of secrecy. Um, but uh, did they live on Romulus, or were they a uh, society that lived within Romulan society, or were they something you know kind of outcast or uh, to the side or a, you know a subculture? So the show never makes that clear, but I can tell you in the Star Trek, the prequel novel, like one of the things that happens is the pop, you know, they deal with the story of taking those, um, the, that population and moving them to, to the, to the planet Vashti. Um, and they, they are living on some other planet. They're not living on Romulus. They're living on some Vulcan, you know, colony world. I don't remember what it's called. It's given a name of the book, but I don't recall. Um, and uh, that that presumably is not where they, their society was founded. You know, like presumably they were originally living on Romulus because they're Romulans. And just at some point they left 
you know, again, presumably because they were fighting with the Tal Shiar and uh, moved off to their own planet where they could kind of build the society according to their own their own ways. But they do they do deal with the rest of Romulan society, you know, as as they say, they are the kind of anti Tal Shiar, uh, and so they clearly are involved in in in, in um, Romulan society as a whole, even though they are kind of off to the side. Gotcha, gotcha. Do, so uh, in that scene, whenever uh, the opening scene, whenever he's um, in the past and, and had uh, just come back, she talks about them, you know finding another place, um, and then later in the show they talk about being left there on the the horrible planet of Vashti. Do we know what's their, what their beef is with Vashti? Because it looked pretty badass in the beginning. Uh, it looked sort of like a, an oasis paradise. I think when they were talking about finding another home for Elnor, I think that was really they just like were trying to find someone to adopt him. I think it was as simple as that um, because obviously there's tons of other Romulans who live on this planet. You know, we saw a bunch of them uh, who they aren't. They are not all the Kowat Malat. They're, you know, a bunch of Romulans. Um, and I think uh, so. Yeah, I think they just meant he was going trying to find a family to adopt him so he could have a so normal upbringing. But is that to your where other- the Kowat Malat were already at? Or is that where they were all dropped off by Starfleet? The Kuatmalat were dropped off by Starfleet on Vashti. Uh, Vashti, again, again, this is all in the novel, so like it's not like primary canon, you know, but it all makes sense in the context of this episode. Um, that planet was a small, you know, colony world. There were humans who had colonized it, who lived there. There weren't very many of them, but there were, you know, they had a community. Um, and it was, uh, it, so, but it was a nice, like you said, just like a nice, like peaceful planet. You could totally like live there and, you know, build a society. And so they were going to build this society with Vulc, with uh, Romulans and the humans that were already living there. The Kuat Malat and a bunch of other Romulans get dropped there. And then Starfleet, like, you know, then the Mars attack happens and Starfleet just checks out. And so this 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 planet that had been expecting that they would be having a lot of support as they tried to, you know, build this new society that was a mix of humans and Romulans, but it didn't happen. And so they were on their own. And so we end up with what we see, you know, in the, 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 the kind of, you know, the um, part of the show that's set in the current times, quote unquote, um, where there are humans and there are Romulans. They just don't get along. You know, they gotcha. had the... Romulans only bar and in the background there's another sign that said no Romulans so clearly it's a you know kind of a a divided divided society if not an apartheid society gotcha gotcha okay yeah yep so after that introductory sequence for 14 years ago we get back on the sh- we, we we cut to the ship um and we get some really cool effects of the uh you know of going through warp uh I really liked the the line uh, that uh, Picard can't even take a guilt trip without using a starship. <laughs> uh, that that was pretty funny. Yeah. I also think I also like they got to they got to keep using that really great set that they built uh, of his of his office uh, on the vineyard. It's like clearly, you know, they weren't going to build that for three episodes. They got to keep using it. It was expensive. It was a really nice set. Uh, so they have to set up a, holog- a hologram reproduction of it. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, just to make him feel comfortable. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, he's definitely, you know, not used to flying in starships all the time. That's definitely not what he spent his, you know, the whatever, like, 65 or 70 of his, like, 90-some-odd years alive doing, you know? Yeah, yeah. 
I did like that. I did like that. There's an emergency hospitality hologram that we get to meet to go along with the emergency medical and in tactical or excuse in navigation holograms. That guy was fun. Um, you know, most of it was though was just kind of setting up the episode. I did like when um, uh, when Agnes uh, Ver- uh, Agnes uh, Variety no Gerardi Agnes Gerardi walks in and says, "Ooh, a secret meeting. Ooh, what's going on?" I. I'm not entirely sure that I trust her. You know, we talked about this a little bit last time, but I, I think she—I don't. don't know if she knows that she's doing wrong, but I—I I think I'm—I'm I'm not sure I trust her. And I do love the idea of that she is this clue, this audience surrogate character, and you're—and yet—and yet you can't trust her. And I think that's a fun thing. Usually, you don't have that. Usually, there's a character you don't trust, but it's never the audience surrogate character. And I think that's cool. Hmm, I wonder if she herself is an android. I'm going to guess no, um, but I don't actually have a hard answer for that. Yeah, um, I just thought of that. I had no, this, no basis for it. As you say that, though, I it is causing some wheels to spin. Uh, that I'll, I'll talk about this a little more later when we when because I want to talk about the uh, some more about the book uh, later on. Um, but yeah, I think you might be onto something. Maybe. Maybe there's maybe there's something more going on with her. So she talked about her dad and anybody else who's talked about their um, their family that they've lost it tends to be a suspicious character, if not an android in this case. Um, and when she's trying to get in Cristobal's pants, <laughs> talking about reading those paper books. But uh, anyway, that was that was a funny scene. <laughs> Man, okay, so uh, I think you might be on to something here. So, uh, for one, she's definitely like like getting in, getting into his kind of zaddy vibe. Um, I was going to talk about this when I talk a little more about the book, but I'm going to jump into it now. So, in the um, in the prequel novel, she is in it, right? She's not one of the main characters, but she is in it, and a lot of she's kind of a supporting character in a set of the kind of like subplot that's about Dr. Maddox who you know we're on a quest to go find um who again is presumably the creator of both uh, of uh uh Dodge and Soji but uh, so so he apparently he created them right and at least in the book so far it's kind of uh, him doing the technology to build the synths that are, you know, built to the um, that were used on Mars, um, which I think has already been already been set up in the show. But she does a lot of the work in terms of like inspiring this guy to act and like connect the dots um, to switch to upgrade from making synths that are not sentient to making what would become uh, Soji and Dodge. So in the book, like if. And again, it might just be me having decided from the show that I don't trust her and bringing that context to the book. But in the book, she basically shows up as a student who wants to take classes from Dr. Maddox. He's a genius, right? Um, She is a medical doctor who is in Starfleet and is just going to basically take some master's classes in cybernetics because she wants to learn cybernetics. Falls in love with Maddox or makes Maddox fall in love with her at the very least. Um, And then becomes his assistant. Exactly, and then they become. I see her. Yeah, she gets her PhD in robotics or cybernetics. They team up, and then they and and she kind of helps him make this discovery, like like gets him across the finish line to figure out what he needs to do to create quote unquote life, right? And 
one could read that as just, oh, she helped him out. One could also read it if you are being suspicious about this character, like she was seeding this on purpose because she wanted someone else to build it. Like, like you said, she might be an android herself. She might be, have been, you know, been created by someone else, right? Maybe, who knows, right? Maybe data, some, some like hypothetical third data that's out there or whatever, you know, as opposed to the data and Lord, maybe there's another one. I don't know, right? Like, well, like make it your own. Maybe she was one of the first ones that she and Maddox created wherever they're at. And she's just, they sent her back to keep an eye on the yeah. closed down facilities. Yeah, you're right. Like maybe it is. It, you know, it, it could also be a time travel thing. Who knows, right? She could be. It could be a Borg thing. We don't know, right? But there's, there's. I, it's pretty clear that there's some sort of big bad guy who's like out there in the show, and we're not really seeing them because clearly the like, the um, you know, uh, the Romulans that we see on the Borg ship, they're not the big bosses. The Romulan um, uh, who is undercover at Starfleet, she's not the big boss. Like, there is a big boss out there that we're going to see at some point, um, but I have no idea who it is. And if it's a, is it is it a Romulan? Is it a Borg? Is it something else? Is it Q? Is it, you know, is it lore? Like, ugh, you know, we don't know. We don't know. Um, and I, the more I think about this and the more we talk about this, the more I think that you are really onto something with, like, Agnes Gerardi also being a android and having been sent by that big bad by this like you know it's it's like a it's like a um a planet that you can't see but you can see its effect on gravity or something and the yeah. show's kind of moving around it but we don't know who it is and we have we have not seen a hide nor hair of them but we can see their absence you know what i mean right right yeah so that's my theory, man. And the again, the more you say, the more I think that I think we're on to something with Agnes Gerardi. Can't trust her. She's too and the, that's the thing is they hire an actress who's just this like cute button nose, big smile, big eyes, like, you know, the kind of person that would would be playing like the manic pixie dream girl in a sitcom or something like that, you know? Yeah. Like and of course, if you're being smart, you hire someone like that to play the person that's going to surprise you with being evil. Because, like, if, if it turned out that, you know, whatever, like, um, it turned out that Rios was was a bad guy the whole time, well, you know, he's the kind of, like, devil-may-care guy, you know, the Han Solo type or whatever. Like, yeah, those guys will betray you. That's a cliche. We've seen that before. But the fresh-faced scientist, now that's different. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's her name? Uh, Rafi calls yeah. Picard out on his naivete uh the moment that she meets her it's like who is this you're just gonna let agnes board the ship and come along yeah and you're like, right oh, yeah it's agnes of course she's a doctor yeah yeah she's nice and smart you yeah. know yeah. like in roth you know i think you're right like in picard he's he's been off his game he's been spent 15 years like puttering around and then he meets someone who tells who tells him what he wants to hear right which is that there's hope that data might, that data's daughter that died that she might have a sister and that sister's going to be out there and hey let's let's do it let's go on a space adventure let's and then, not find Maddox let's find her she specifically said that's not the question you should be asking yes where is the second 
Oh, man. You're right. She is driving the plot. Mm -hmm. She is the one that is moving all this stuff, making Picard do what what he does, or, you know, at least in broad strokes what he's doing. Um, Man, shit. Goes deeper than I even thought. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, all right. I think, and, and I think, hopefully, in this next episode, of some of this, as as we get to where they've been trying to get to the uh, free cloud, we might, we might actually start to see some of this. So, so back to the show. They land on Vashti. They have to bribe their way to land. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, they talk about something called the what, what sounded like the Fenris Rangers. Is this is an area that they're protecting? That's really unclear. Um, I did a little bit of googling, and it seems it might have something to do with Seven of Nine, who we who again we see at the end of the episode, but unclear, right? That that was some okay. stuff that was that was some base. That name has of the Fenris Rangers is a name that is in a Star Trek video game called Star Trek Online. It's like a massively multiplayer video game that like. Extended continuity forward from from the last of the Star Trek stuff, and it seems like again some of the like bits and pieces of it have been brought forward into the show. They're not following it in terms of story, but I think some of the ideas have been picked up. Again, is that anything? Is it is it going to be meaningful? Who knows? Yeah, I mean, one of the questions I had about Seven and Nine is where the hell did she come from at the end of the episode? And that would be an explanation. Yeah, like if she was a guardian. Yeah, yeah, um, but you know, we'll um, presumably we'll get some answers for that in the next episode. I don't think it's going to be. It doesn't seem like it's going to be all that important. It seems mostly that here's a reason for her to show up, um, and then you know, because she's a, a a human who's been a Borg, she can help move the plot along. Yeah. But uh, so anyway, Picard lands back on Vashti. He's wearing a really sick black leather jacket that has the same kind of structure as the uniform, where you've got like a glossier shoulders, and then it's a different color down. It's like a black leather jacket version of a Starfleet uniform, and I really dug really dug it. Yeah, um, yeah, it's sort of a <clears throat> field coat uh, or field jacket type jacket uh, with the the uniform. Uh, texture and styling i really like yeah but yeah. so before he got to the planet they were trying to think of how to get onto it mm-hmm. and he's uh, you know throughout the show it's just been one uh um knock on his ego after another and he's like well just call central command and tell them it's me and they'll let me yeah on. and <laughs> totally. they're like yeah we did that they weren't interested weren't very yeah, impressed exactly. and then rios uh, Picard asked for suggestions on how to get there, and he's like, uh, "Well, a cash gift is always appropriate." So I wonder what the cash gift was. I mean, did they just have like a, you know, a, a store of need? You know, I don't know, uh, petty cash that they get to use to bribe. Well, what? you know, he, he is he is Picard. He's clearly got some got some scratch. If he was able to hire Rios, you know, he's got some. Uh, some Federation credits or some um, Ferengi gold plus latinum or whatever. Um, you know, he's clearly got some scratch. And in, uh, hope- in that time period, is it a true cash society? Do they have cash or is it a digital currency that's universal? So, galaxy that, universal. Yeah, not really. Yes and no, right? So, one of the things that's true in in Star Trek is that the the Federation is largely a post scarcity economy. You know, people mostly they people still have jobs and do stuff, but it's not like you know today where you were kind of forced to labor. Um, 
you know, just sell your labor in order to survive, right? Um, it is a post-capitalist society where, like, well, why did why does somebody want to go become a captain of a ship on Star in Starfleet and like bust their ass like day in day out to try to become a captain of a ship on on of Starfleet? Well, because becoming the captain of a ship on of Starfleet is awesome and it's totally cool, and you get to do awesome stuff, and it's prestigious, right? Yeah. Why do you, you want to become a, a top? Exactly. On holodeck yep. chicks. Yep. Yep. Why or do you want to be? Whatever. Yeah. Why do you want to be a top tier scientist? Well, it's prestigious. It's cool. You get to live your dream. But you know, of course, that's that's only a subset of people. Um, and you see, uh, you know, in Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, that there is still at least. Like on the outskirts of the Federation, it is a little bit more like a money economy, even though it's not quite the same way. So you know the front UBI. Yeah, I think I think that I think a lot of people are living on living on those Yang bucks back in the central <laughs> system. But when you get out to the periphery, there's not as many Yang bucks. Um, so uh, and so you know you've got the Ferengi, which are a explicitly capitalist society. They they. For them, it's cash. It is gold pressed latinum. If it's not gold pressed latinum, they don't care. Um, whereas in the Federation, it's an ear yeah, massage. No, that too, that too. But you know, that's just a service that you trade for gold plus gold pressed latinum. You know, whereas in the Federation, like there are, you know, you do have credits, right? And you do use them for this or that in certain scenarios. But like the basics of life, the the necessities, the food, the, the shelter, etc., are, you know, they're 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 covered. You don't really have to worry about that. Um, but, uh, but it, so I guess I, I would assume that Picard had some sort of wage for being in Starfleet, you know, um, and did not have to spend much of it. And it just had been piling up in his bank account. And so he can definitely like bribe somebody on a border world to let him beam down for, gotcha. you know, a couple grand of, uh, space bucks. <laughs> so, right. yeah. So we, uh, we, we get back, uh, we get back to Vashti. You know, he meets up uh, with the cop, uh, the cop Malat, and uh, we see adult Elnor, who is an elf ninja. What did you oh. think of this elf ninja? So, he makes Narek look like a troll. He's extremely, <laughs> totally. extremely attractive. He just drops, what did he do? Did he drop in from the ceiling? Like, he's rising up whenever you see him for the first time, and you hear a thump, and he's like, sorry. He's like, oh, there's Picard. No, he's, he's just walking. Yeah. He's walking up carrying a loaf of bread and sets it down for Picard, and then Picard doesn't like, doesn't react very well. Like he just says, "Oh, cool, nice to see you," and he throws it down. That's why he was clomping around. Ah, but, uh, okay. Because he's gotcha. clearly like he's he's basically like a Romulan teenager, I guess. Like he's like eighteen or something, and is still pretty uh pretty immature. But yeah, like I, I would say it's not that he is he is not as handsome as Narek. Narek is handsome. Elnor is a beautiful man. He is a he is he looks like he's an elf. Man. He's yeah. he is Legolas from Game of Thrones. He is not handsome. He is beautiful. <laughs> Legolas he, from Game of Thrones. Game. <laughs> sorry. sorry, I was like, Legolas? yeah, he's a little bit more rugged than Legolas. That, that makes sense. All right. Yeah. Le, sorry. Yeah. Legolas. Sorry. Legolas from Lord of the Rings. I've showing my showing my uh, brain rot. Uh, I need. To, <laughs> I, I've been watching too much Star Trek and not enough fantasy c- content. I guess. Um, <laughs> But yeah, you know, like we have the sequence where he talks to everyone and eventually, you know, he's hanging out in like space feudal Japan, basically. Like I loved this, you know, some of the visual styling of these characters. It made me think a lot of samurai movies is clearly what they're going for. Um, You know, he uh, tries to get Elnor. Elnor's like, no, you were you were rude. You were rude to me. You never let me meet Data's cat. 
I still yeah. haven't met a cat. I am clearly mad about this. <laughs> uh, yeah, he was sort of a little bitch. Uh, he was. But he's a little, you know, he's a teenager, so. Or he just, I yeah. guess. Did they say he just came of age? So, assuming 18, you know, something yeah, like that. Yeah, the, the equivalent in Romulan years, whatever that is. Because I know Romulans, like Vulcans, live longer. But I don't know if they, you know, what age they become adults. I don't think that's ever really been said in canon. Um, okay. But, yeah, he's a... Uh, uh, yeah, he's basically like yeah a rowdy teen, um, and uh, I love that after 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 he tells Picard to go pound sand, Picard's way to try to like get his attention is to go fuck with some local tough Romulans and like roll into the bar and like throw the sign down and be like, hey, give me a drink, come yeah. on, I'm Picard. Yeah. yeah, he's very very well versed in how to cause a commotion at his yep. own expense. Yep. Yeah, that definitely seems like a high-risk way to try to get Elnor's attention. <laughs> uh, well, uh, you know, that's Picard. He, he puts himself out there and just assumes everybody's going to fall in line. I mean, you're right. It has worked very well for him so far. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, he uh, did that in the book that, I, that I'm reading uh, in one of the recent chapters where he said, fuck it, I'm just going to start yelling at this dragon while it's eating... 50 or 60 other people so that, you know, it'll pay attention to me and then just assumes somebody's going to come save them. And, it, of course, Data does. Yeah. I mean, that's how it goes. Although he doesn't have whip, Data. With a whip that in, he was inspired by Indiana Jones from. He destroys this dragon with a whip. It was badass. And then Captain oh, Guard climbs a cliff, jumps on top of the dragon, and drives a sword into its neck and kills it. Damn, this Dave book is, is like this was a regrettable uh, encounter. This <laughs> book is that book you're reading is extra, man. It really that, is. It really is. It's it's the. I feel like I've seen the episode on TV multiple times. Like every scene is vivid. Like I know all the expressions and I can see them coming. I, I can't believe that I haven't seen that episode on TV or at least read the book multiple times. Because it's so familiar, um, but yeah. But anyway, I, I think it's pretty, pretty in line with all the other uh, episodes, and that's probably why. Well, it's it's in line with the characters, but that that is a plot line they could never have done on the TV show. They could they could not have afforded dragons on in, in the uh, mid '90s or early '90s, you know. Yeah, like that's uh, so, that's why they put it in a novel because you have unlimited special effects buzz, budgets in a novel. You know, you can have as many dragons as you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did not. Absolutely. We did not perfect dragon technology on uh, movies until uh, what, like two thousand three or four, with uh, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, but similarly, Picard is a master swordsman in the book, as he is yeah. in this episode. Well, um, he is a fencer. He, you know, there was lots of scenes of him fencing in the in Next Generation. Uh, and I did love that this like old guy. They they shove a sword in his hand. The guy comes at him and he parries it. But he only does it once because he knows that, like, this other guy's going to whip his ass if he actually tries to sword fighting. Because, like, as good as Picard is with a sword, he's also 90-something, right? I don't know if that's why he threw the sword down. I think he just I, didn't want to have to kill all five of them. Well, I think that, and too. But I think he also... Yeah, yeah I think he was, to be saved. But, yeah, but I think he also knew that even if he tried, like, 
Picard of Next Generation could have taken out some dudes with a sword. Picard of Star Trek Picard, who's 92. Uh, I, I think that's kind of, I think that is the age he's supposed to be because this is the uh, same Picard that walked in and said, "Admiral, give me a starship and a crew." He yeah, he does I mean, not think that he was going to lose. You know, I I don't know, but maybe you're right. Like he definitely has some balls on him. Um, and and that that has not gone away in his old age. He still he still has uh he still has some big brass ones. Yeah. Uh, and does not give a shit. Um so, you know, then uh Elnor shows up and it just like let him go or I will murder all of you. And then he does that in straight straight up zet like like murks everyone, cuts the dude's head off and you get a uh I would, thankfully not super gory, but a little gorier than you usually get in Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, I didn't see it coming. Like uh, he yeah. just does his little spin move, like yep. uh, Cinder from uh, that fighting game back in the nineties. Uh, what was it called? Like I don't know something. Anyway, Killer in- Killer Instinct. Killer Instinct. Yeah, forward, forward, triangle, triangle, forward, forward, triangle, triangle, and just spin and kill people, and then he slices yeah. dude's head off. Just straight up, yep. He is definitely uh, an elf ninja. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, choose to I'm, live, brother. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited. <laughs> I did like though. As soon as they beam back onto the uh, the La Serena, you get like th- the most real Picard shit we've seen so far, where he just dresses Elnor down like he was a, like he was an ensign who fucked up. He just. Re, he he just reads him the riot act, tells him no, you I am the boss, you are not going to do that anymore, and it is the most Picard Picard we have seen yet in this season, and I loved it. Yeah, no, it was it was badass, and then he does a little ceremony, and it was it was powerful, you know, you could see yeah. that he he showed him who was the boss, and Eleanor yeah. agreed to it. He didn't like it, but he accepted every bit of it. Yep. Well, you know, like so many characters, Picard is a father figure to him, you know, like Picard has no kids, but he's got a lot of children, you know, like he's got like date, he oh, father figure to nice. date. I know. Yeah. Well, I'm a poet, you know, I've got a real I'm big, and a big sweetheart. Um, but, you know, like Data, Wesley Crusher, especially those are two people that were like, you know, they were kind of like children to him uh, and to a lesser extent, Worf. And, and LaForge even, you know, maybe even Riker a bit too, although Riker is probably less of a father figure. Uh, or Picard was less of a father figure to Riker, just more of a mentor figure. Yeah. But, uh, you know, what, I would say, yeah. What happened to Wesley Crusher? He's such a disappointment in real life. Well, at least his he, fashion sense is. Um, yeah. What happened yeah, to him he, in the canon of the show? In the canon of the show, he goes to Starfleet Academy to, you know, be a regular ensign just like one does and uh comes back for a couple guest appearances um it does that's really it like i think it he he shows up in the background in one of the movies he doesn't even have any lines though he's just like there's a wedding and he's just like you know clapping off to the side that's really it if there's i'm sure his character has been explored a lot in like novels and stuff like that but nothing that i'm aware of that uh would would that has shown up in any movies or tv shows um you know, not it's entirely possible that he could show up in the show uh, in Picard, but I would not expect that. Gotcha. Um, they, gotcha. they would have like given that he was supposed to be like this ultimate genius, you know, wunderkind kind of character. They'd have to come up with something big. Otherwise, whatever he you know, so either either he is like 
whatever, like like uh, already an admiral, even though he's only 40 or something like that, or he's like some kind of total loser. Or maybe, maybe he's the big bad behind all of this. Bum, and bum, at the bum. end of the season, or maybe in season two, find out that, that Wesley Crusher, he's gone evil. Maybe he's joined the Q continuum, and he's he's been running all this stuff the whole time. Okay, so what is the Q continuum? Oh, that is that is the species that Q is a part of. There are other Qs. We just don't really see them. They are oh, the okay. the he the one that we interact with Q is one of them. There are others. How does one join the Q continuum? Well, a Q can make you a Q, um, or you just be of that species. It's all very magical. There's not really like a lot of logic to it all. Did the show uh, Next Generation? Did it show him interact interacting with Q at all? Was Q ever? Oh interested yeah. in him? Yes, there was also a character, and I have a, I don't, I, it's not an episode I've rewatched, but there was one called like The Visitor, where some other kind of like supernatural-esque figure, kind of like Q, but I don't think it, he, I don't remember if he was a Q, but he was called The Visitor, and he kind of said like, you know, uh, you can become one of us, Wesley, or something like that. I have only the the vaguest memory of it, but you know. I think that'd be a thread that if, if if Wesley turning evil, gaining power and turning evil is, I think, a reasonable thread to pick up. I just don't. I would not actually expect it though. I think the uh, um, uh, Will Wheaton um, works pretty well as like a host of the Ready Room After Show. I do not think he would work well as an actual important character in the show again. I do not think that would think that that would work. I hope he, he seems, doesn't he, listen to our pod because we're just talking shit. Well, you know, I, I don't want to say too many mean things about Will Wheaton because that dude actually had a really tough adolescence growing up because, like, he everyone on the like this he was like basically the first person the internet hated, you know, back <laughs> back in like like 1992 when the only people who used the internet were insane Star Trek fans who were using Usenet on alt that Star Trek and would post diatribes about how much they hated Wesley Crusher and Will Wheaton. He was basically the first person ever cyberbullied. Um, so you know res- well, respect to a legend he deserves well, you know no respect to a legend you know he's the first guy to get owned online and i think we have to respect that <laughs> okay um, um so they get back to the ship and then we jump straight into a really sick space battle like uh you get rios uh um having to battle this like old school Star Trek, the original series era bird of prey mm-hmm. uh Romulan bird of prey that looked really really cool we had this emergency tactical hologram uh, who who was like looked like uh, Rios after yeah oh you're right he did look like Jason Momoa uh, uh, version of him he had the uh, sunburst tattoo on his elbow and yeah. everything that guy definitely just uh, you know a hologram version of a guy that always wakes up hungover and smokes weed all day <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely yeah yeah. Um, you know, we get Picard acting like the captain, kind of being like, oh, no, sorry. I'm, you're the captain, not me. You know, uh, and th- yeah, it was it was really fun. It was a, it was, it was a good, like, this show's got crazy effects budget, and they're doing a really good job with it, I think. Well, so, something I was curious is why was the uh, planet security grid attacking them? You know, they didn't fly through it, and I thought yeah. that was supposed to be when they would get attacked. Uh, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I mean, I guess they were just... Getting close to it or something. I don't Maybe know. Maybe the first, didn't make a ton the first of sense. phaser shots from the Bird of Prey missed and hit the the grid. And that yeah. uh, caused the attack or something. 
Something like that. I think, like, they never really explain it, but I think that that's a perfectly reasonable uh, reasonable explanation to make. You know, I do like the idea of, like, a uh, low-level warlord having this, like, old-school Romulan bird of prey that he can use to just, like, basically harass people and extort money. Um, given that that ship ended up getting sliced, uh, getting a wing sliced off, I'm not sure if we're going to see that guy again. But um, that was that was n- just nice little color that they're adding to this edge of the world. Yeah, well, I mean, I feel like the only reason you see ships disabled and not destroyed is so that they can come back. Uh, Yep. I mean, I I, I think we will see that ship again. Yeah, no, I think you're right. At some point, we are going to have to come back to Vashti for some reason. You know, one of the older older lady who runs the show, uh, Tira, or whatever her name was, She's going to get sick and call Elnor next season or something like that. But I'm sure they're leaving it open. But yeah, then we get this. uh, They're rescued by a little ship. The little ship does some major damage and then blows up. And then they have to beam him over. And it is Seven of Nine. So how familiar are you with Seven of Nine? For viewers at home, or not viewers, listeners, I'm holding up a zero. I don't know anything about her except for I really do like her little eye thing. Yeah, uh, I have not watched a lot of Voyager. I think you and I, so when we were kids, uh, Voyager was br- was on UPN. It was the first Star Trek show that was not, so, so Next or Next Generation and Deep Space Nine were on syndication. And then so our those local were the CBS, only two that I really saw much yeah. of, and not much of Deep Space Nine, but some. Yeah, um, the yeah they were on, they were on syndication, and our local CBS affiliate showed both of them. Um then um, at some point, uh, Voy- so then Voy- Star Trek Next Generation ends, Voyager starts up instead, and Voyager, instead of being syndicated, uh, was on the UPN, um, which is the network that later on became the CW, but at the time it was called UPN, and it was like their big, we're a new network, this is our big show, um, and uh, it... For also, if for reasons I don't entirely understand, they must have syndicated it in some markets where they didn't have a UPN affiliate. Because for the first season, we were able to watch it on our local CBS affiliate. And it filled the next generation time slot. So you would see Voyager, and then or you'd see Voyager, and then Deep Space Nine back to back. Um, then they stopped after the first season. So I have only ever seen the first season of Voyager. I'm sure you, you may have watched some of those with me. I don't really remember. This would have been like 96 or something like that. Um, and then our local affiliate stopped carrying either Voyager or Deep Space Nine. And we never, and I, so I've only seen like the first couple of seasons of Deep Space Nine, random episodes afterwards, the first season of Voyager, and maybe a couple of random episodes after this. So I'm only familiar with, with Seven of Nine from reading about her um, and just generally being aware. I have not watched those episodes that she came in because she came into the sh- to Voyager like in season three or something like that. Um, Wasn't she the captain of Voyager? No. The captain of Voyager was Captain Janeway. Then, oh, okay. Um, All right. Yeah. yeah, yeah there, there was like the first two seasons, they decided they wanted to add some extra add a new character they wanted basically they wanted to add sex appeal and so they introduced seven of nine who was a sexy borg um who got deborged and was now a sexy ex-borg or sort of borg or borg adjacent person i'll borg um, with her yep and then uh you know i watched a clip the other day of uh, an episode where um she uh has is somehow like in a gladiator fight with special guest actor The Rock. 
uh, in one of his very first um, uh, acting roles outside of wrestling was what? a cameo. Yeah, yeah. Search, go Google Seven I'm of Nine, to. or search, or not Google YouTube Seven of Nine, The Rock, and you can you too can see The Rock with some really crappy makeup that's basically just a little like brow ridge uh, taped to his face. Um, <laughs> battle Seven of Nine in some sort of like space gladiator thing. You know, The Rock is probably my favorite actor, not because he's a great actor, but because it's The Rock. Um, yeah. But I hate that he's always getting beat up by people that would never, ever be able to beat him up. Like, specifically, uh, Vin Diesel in uh, yeah. the fight scene in the first uh, uh, Fast and Furious that he was in. He gets beat up by Vin Diesel. What the fuck? The guy weighs well, 100 pounds less than him and is 12 feet shorter. Well, you, you'll have to find out whether The Rock or Seven of Nine uh, wins this battle. But you might be asking if yourself: If it was real, I know what would happen. Yeah, The Rock but you would might, end up. What? I was going to say you might be asking yourself: Does The Rock do a rock bottom to Seven of Nine? <laughs> yes, he does. Does, does he, he raise the? Yeah, the people's eyebrow. Does he raise the people's eyebrow? Yes, he does. Does he drop the people's elbow on Seven of Nine? You know, I, I'm not going to tell you the answer to that. You're going to have to go find out for yourself. Uh, gives her that smoldering look, and she just drops the Borg. Yeah, there you go. I'm yours. Yeah, and so Blame. hopefully, maybe you know, now that the Rock is canon, the Rock is canonically a character in Star Trek. Maybe he'll come back. You know, there's nothing to stop wow. them from bringing that character back, and they can introduce the Rock. Maybe do a whole spinoff series about him. He never ceases to amaze me. He's all, there's always yeah. more to him. He's so deep. There really is. It really is. So, uh, so yeah. So that's seven of nine shows up. That's pretty much the end of the episode. So we did not talk about anything that happened in the board cube. Honestly, I don't think there's a lot to say. Um, it was, you know, there were like bits of it all throughout the episode. I don't feel like we learned anything new. It all just seemed kind of like repeating things from the past two episodes. It was not very interesting. Like. The All Borg, this stuff on the ancient Borg rituals are really weird and goofy. Yeah, just sliding around on socks, like being manic pixie dream Romulan. I mean, um, I guess they needed to show him doing something to, you know, make her fall in love with him more or more than uh, they she was, or to gain her, you know, trust in a yeah uh, by romancing her. But it was really goofy. And yes. it was very non-Romulan or un-Romulan, uh, yeah. or even un-badass dude or cool guy. Like it was just the goofiest little where he's like flapping his wings uh, or his yeah. arms like their wings skating around on. I guess it's supposed to be icy since it's a ventilation chamber. I didn't understand what the lasers were. I was thinking he was like going to escape through it because that was the best way to avoid all the lasers from touching him. Sort of like a. Uh, in a like Mission Impossible style type thing where he goes through the laser grid. Um, but no, it wasn't. It was way cheesier than that. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I, I didn't really like that scene very much. No, I thought it was it was kind of cute but kind of stupid. I mean, to your point about like it's not something that this like cool smoldering Romulan like like badass guy would do. I mean, yes, but at the same time, he is playing a character to try to seduce her, and he's going to do whatever he has to do to seduce her. And if he decides this is she wants this like cute sweet boy, well, he's going to give her the cute sweet boy, you know. Um, I but so. yeah, I I guess it, it was, but like it was nothing, you know. Like I just. 
stuff happened. What does it mean? What does it add up to? And then at the very end, yeah. I was going to say, I think the most important portion of that was the scene with him and his uh, purported sister. Uh, Yeah. She's definitely not actually his sister. She's his commanding officer, it seems, or at least or something. Uh, you know, the leader of their their unit or something, and um, they definitely have some sort of sexual background. Uh, yeah, but that, that was hopefully they're not brother and sister because that was a, a much stranger interaction than the yeah. previous one. That was quite strange. Yes, I. They are really le- leaning hard into that. Like, is it incest vibe? And uh, it's not Game of Thrones, man. We don't need that. Let's. Mm-hmm. No bueno. Don't like it. But she's definitely um, the boss, and yeah. punked him real hard. Uh, totally. And totally. It seemed like he knew that he could not resist. Like he, he was getting choked, and that was it. Yeah. Just had to give in. He is. Uh. You know, she's the boss. Yeah. So the one other thing, I guess the only thing I really have to say about the Romulan and Borg Cube stuff, because it's all pretty boring in this episode, was that I read an interesting article on Polygon that I shared with you that had some theories that, they were, rather, they were interpreting the show as saying that this specific Borg Cube was, like, cut off from the Borg because it assimilated the Romulans, and that did something to the Borg Cube. Now, that, I think, is something that is an interpretation that makes sense, but I don't think, at least I did not pick it up as something that was explicitly stated by the show. Um, I'm curious, I guess I don't really have much to say other than that. If that is true, that's interesting, and I'm curious where it goes, but I don't think it's necessarily a reading that I came to immediately, although, again, I don't think it's one that's necessarily false. I think we kind of talked about that last week, Um, and, you know, that would be sort of the reason why she's there, investigating this shared mythical framework that uh, is apparently what she's investigating. Um, And the reason she knows about it is because that's the, you know, the prevailing theory as to why that cube, um, you know, got, got separated from the rest of the collective. So hopefully we'll get some like answers because this is like a mystery that's less mysterious and more just kind of confusing. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. So uh, for next week, I saw uh, that there were some pictures online of like screens from the episode on the um, on some Trek websites. And uh, if you haven't seen them, I think this is going to be a pretty cool episode. It's it's I'm excited. Them. Oh man! I, if you want, if you want, not a spoiler, but just a hint. Go go hit up uh, trekmovie.com. That's my favorite Star Trek news site, and you can see some cool pictures. Or just wait. You only have to wait a couple more days. That's so. Before we before we go, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the uh, Picard uh, prequel novel that I've been reading, um, The Way to the Stars. Um, it's pr- still pretty good. I'm enjoying it. It's fairly light on plot, but I think part of that's just it's not a very plotty book because we know where everything's going. You know, the the evacuate. You know, the they find out the star goes supernova, and then this is just them doing that, like trying to rescue Romulans until they get to the point where there's the attack on Mars, and then things totally go off the rails. So it's basically just kind of mostly filling in this filling in blanks. And kind of watching things start to slowly go south um, as as um, opinion in the Federation gets a little bit more mixed about whether or not we should be helping the Romulans before then eventually that is totally severed by the attack on Mars. Um, the you know we talked about Agnes Gerardi and Maddox already, so I'm not going to go into that. But one thing that there are two things that I think are interesting. 
One is that there is some hints in this book that the supernova may have been done on purpose, which a couple of weeks ago, if it was last week or the week before, you were asking about, like, well, it's a super, this star's going supernova. Shouldn't they have figured this out, like, a hundred years ago or a thousand years ago? Like, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be a surprise, right? Yeah, like, these things move slowly. Yeah. Yeah, these things go slow. Um, To that point, if this was done artificially by someone, maybe the hypothetical big bad that we've, that we've been discussing, um, that would explain why. Alternately, this uh, one of the things that does happen in the book that I don't think is ever talked about in the show is they f- they they come up with a plan to rescue the Romulans. Then they get some new readings and they find out well the supernova is actually going to happen sooner and be bigger than we thought. So it's worse. Everything's worse. We have to accelerate our plans and everything gets stretched even further, which you know causes hardship for everyone. Right? Um, it could also be all you know the 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 base supernova. Totally real, normal, like, nature that's happening, but then it's accelerated artificially. Again, these are just kind of ideas that have been laid out in the book. I'm about two-thirds of the way through. None of this stuff has been concrete. I don't know if the book will answer these questions or if it's just threads that are laid down for the for the TV show to pick up for real um, in later this season or next season. The one other thing I thought was interesting is I think I have a theory that free cloud, which is, you know, this space Vegas that we're going to go see next episode. I think it might be on the planet Nimbus three, which is the planet Cybok lived on in Star Trek five. Huh? Okay. So is that interesting or meaningful? Well, not really. It's just a planet. It just happened to be, you know, one that Star Trek five was set on, but you know, it's interesting that they're doing something with uh, Star Trek five, which is not a good movie and has lots of stupid ideas, which are never revisited because they're bad. The idea that Spock had an older brother, yeah, they never come back to that because it's kind of stupid. The um, Kirk going to the center of the galaxy to kill God, eh, never really come back to that because it's also kind of stupid. So uh, I I would say Star Trek V, of the original series movies, the only one that's actually just bad, you know? Um, They're all, uh, people like some more than others, but I think they're all pretty great, except for V, which is just straight up bad. I mean, going to the center of the galaxy to kill God, I mean, that's pretty myopic. Uh, there's a lot of galaxies out there. Is there just a God per galaxy? What's the, what's the Yeah, uh, you've, you've clearly already thought about it more than whoever wrote the script. Well, I am a thinker. Yeah, so uh, go watch Star Trek V. It's bad. Probably not. Yeah, well, not anyway... No, probably not. Um, if you're going to watch something, go watch. Just go watch uh, Seven of Nine Battle the Rock on some random episode of Voyager. I'm about um, to watch that. Yeah, I think you'll enjoy that a lot more than Star Trek V. So, yeah, um, that's that's it for this week. Uh, we'll be back next week to discuss uh, episode five of Star Trek Picard. 